0: Welcome to the Siskiy Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So there's a story about a, a little feller who one Sunday morning there in Sunday school, school heard, heard the story of creation. All of it how God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and the mountains and all the animals and man and woman. And, and this little guy, boy, as the story was being told in Sunday school and all the animals were made and, and, and Adam was naming all the critters as they went by. And God said that it is not good for man to be alone. That there is all the animals went by and they had their mates. Boy, Adam realized that he was all alone. God said, it's not good that he should be alone. And so he took Adam and, and caused him to fall into a deep sleep and took his rib out from him. And he, he made Adam a wife from that rib. He made woman from that rib. And that little boy, Johnny, he heard that story. And boy, he couldn't stop thinking about it. He was just blown away. How did God take a rib from Adam and make Adam a wife? He's just blown away. And so a little bit later on that week, little Johnny was kind of curled up on, on the couch and he didn't look well. And his mom said, John, are you feeling okay? And curled up there and said, Mom, I don't feel well. I think, I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> See, marriage can be a little bit confusing sometimes. Marriage can be a little bit painful sometimes. But God has a plan for marriage. And what is God's perfect plan for us concerning marriage? Well, we're going to take a look at that this morning as we dive into God's word, we're gonna look at what his plan is for us in marriage and in singleness and uh, in sexuality. And, you know, there are a couple ideas about marriage. There's the world's idea about marriage and then there's God's idea concerning marriage. And God's idea concerning marriage is good and it's right and it's beautiful and it brings about blessing and joy. The world's idea about marriage is completely the opposite. The world says, ah, marriage, we could give it, or we could take it, we could leave it, what's the big deal? And statistically, our culture is really just kind of walking away from marriage. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, where if you look at the, the, the charts and the graphs that are available through the United States Census Bureau, you know, in the 60s, everybody wanted to get married and pursue the American dream. Now I just want to get married and have kids. And, but that has declined sharply from the 60s to now. It looks like a double black diamond ski slope. It is just tanked. And then on the other side of the coin, cohabitation is on the rise. Huge numbers of people are just living together, although they're not married. And we say, oh, you know, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that God has a very definite plan for what marriage should look like. He has a very definite plan, and within his plan, again, we find great blessing and joy. But outside of that plan, we find great heartache, and we find uh, much pain. And so this morning, as we look at, uh, you know, God's plan for our life concerning marriage and singleness, man, we're going to take his word for it. We're going to make the decision to say, you know what, God? We're just going to flat out be submitted to your word. We might not agree with it. We might not understand it. It might not be popular with the world. But as Christians, we say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the the world has to say about any given issue or, or topic. We are to be those who say, Lord, you are the author and finisher of my faith. You're the one who brings truth. And if we disagree, man, we're going to lean on you. Let let God be true and every man a liar. Because this whole situation of of sexuality and cohabitation and throwing marriage aside, it's not just the culture that we live in. It really has infected the church. The church now is kind of just rationalizing away marriage and saying, well, you know, what's the big deal? We love each other, right? We're going to get married. Or we've been together for so long, it's like we're married. None of those things work. You're not married unless you're married before the Lord and you're married before the government. You say, well, who cares what the government says? Is that really biblical? Well, yeah, we're going to talk about it in a minute. We're going to see that as Jesus talks about divorce, there's this bill of divorcement that he brings up. Who's concerned about the bill of divorcement? Do you think it was the church or do you think it was the government? It's the government. And so I say all that to say this. We as the church, the world's going to be the world, but we as the church need to come to this place to where we're surrendered to the Lord and his word, even when we don't like what it has to say, and we quit rationalizing away God's word to live according to our own plan. And so this letter of of 1 Corinthians, again, you guys remember that this is a corrective letter that Paul's writing from Ephesus, another city nearby there in Asia Minor, to Corinth, to the church there because they're off the rails. And up to this point in the letter, Paul has been addressing those sins within the church at Corinth that he has been made aware of by Chloe. Remember, he got a letter from Chloe's household that said, man, Corinth is off the rails. They're walking contrary to God's word. And so the beginning of this letter, Paul is addressing all of those known sins. Those things that are kind of common knowledge, those things are being talked about in the community. Paul says, hey, you guys need to work on this. This is not godly. And we've addressed their spiritual, immor- or their spiritual immaturity, their sexual immorality, their uh, divisions, their pride. Uh, last week, uh, last Wednesday actually, we talked about how the Corinthian church was so happy. Everybody was hyper-offended and taking each other to court for all sorts of reasons. So Paul has dealt with all of those known sins. Now there's kind of a shift in the letter. Paul's moving away from addressing all of those things that he's heard about. And now he's going to begin to address some questions that the Corinthian church posed to him in the letter that they've previously written to him. So the Corinthian church wrote Paul a letter, asked him some questions, and now he's answering those questions. And we're going to see over the next, uh, we'll probably finish this up. Well, no, we're not going to finish up Corinthians in the next week. We'll see this over the next couple of weeks. That uh, this morning, uh, the questions that they had were dealing with marriage. Paul answers those. In chapters 8 through 10, the questions they have deal with personal liberty. Paul deals with those. 11 through 14 deals with church order and spiritual gifts. 15 doctrines and, and resurrection. And one thing that I want to, to say as a, a, a quick uh, kind of, you know, precursor before we get in here, is that as we discuss marriage and sexuality and singleness today, that, remember, Paul's just answering questions that were asked of him. This is by no means, uh, you know, an end-all, you know, exhaustive theological study on the subject of marriage. And I say that because I don't want you guys to say, well, this is all the Bible has to say about marriage, and we're gonna build our argument for marriage around this. Because I don't care what the topic is, whether it's marriage or finances or how we relate to each other uh, relationally, anything that we deal with, if you just take one verse or two verses out of the Bible, man, you can make the Bible really say whatever you want. You need the whole counsel of God's word. It's important that, that, that you understand that, and that'll come... Uh, into focus here, why I said that a little bit later. But here in chapter 7, as Paul deals with marriage and singleness and sexuality, he's going to address three main groups, really. He's going to address uh, married Christians, Christians who are married to other Christians. He's going to address Christians who are married to non-Christians, and he's going to address unmarried Christians or singles, both those who are sexually experienced and those who are a virgin. And we'll deal with most of that on Wednesday night. This morning, we're just going to look at the first 10, 12 verses, and we're going to discuss marriage between two Christian people. And so uh, let's just jump right in, verse one of chapter seven. Paul says, "It is good that a man not touch a woman. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless. Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may be given to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, It is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife yay, we're going to talk about sexuality and divorce and singleness and it just keeps coming. It's great. But these things are good. And again, you know, we kind of shy away from these things. Oh, we're going to talk about sex at church. The only reason that seems weird is because society has taken something that is beautiful and a gift of God and has polluted it. And so I say, let's redeem it and look at it through the lens of God's word and make it something beautiful again. And so Remember, Paul, again, is answering questions to the Corinthians, and one of their questions would seem to be regarding celibacy. Hey, is it better to be celibate, to remain single, or is it better to marry? And Paul answers that question, and he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, it's good for you to be single. So what does Paul mean when he says it's good for a man not to touch a woman? What kind of touch is he talking about? Is that the side hug? Is that the high-five is that the, ooh, girls have cooties, like remember in the second and third grade, like don't touch girls. No, that touch that he's talking about is a sensual touch. It's a a sexual touch, and it's in regards to their question of celibacy. Is it good for a a man to remain celibate? And Paul says, yes, it's great. Go for it. If that is what the Lord has called you to, uh, then remain celibate. But the key is, if that is what God has called you to. Verse 6 makes it clear that it is permitted and not commanded. Paul says this is a concession, not a commandment, right? You don't have to. Uh, it's just a concession. Verse 7 tells us that, that singleness is a gift. He speaks of it to himself as a gift. And here's the thing about that gift. Not everybody has the gift of singleness. Not everybody is called to a life of being single. And it's interesting because Jesus... He addresses this in Matthew chapter 19. Turn there with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. And this is, uh, this is kind of on the heels of a conversation that Jesus is having with the religious leaders. The religious leaders come to Jesus, and they try to trip him up. And so they ask him a question about a very controversial topic. And that controversial topic was Divorce. And they wanted to know if it was okay to get divorced. And so Jesus, he kind of, uh, he lays out the fact that God is not okay with divorce. He lays out that marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, And he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Right? After the, the discussion about divorce, Jesus made it clear that marriage was a forever thing. That it wasn't to be jumped in too quickly, that it wasn't to be taken lightly. And so now the disciples here in chapter 19, and we'll start in verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, is it better not to marry? So the disciples say, Lord, if marriage is such a serious deal, if it's so binding, maybe it's just better for us to remain celibate. And this is Jesus' response to the disciples' question of celibacy. Jesus says in verse 11, All cannot accept this saying, but only they to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So he who is able to accept this thing of singleness, let him accept it. This whole discussion of eunuchs, what, what is Jesus talking about? A eunuch simply means an individual who is, is not engaging in sexual activity for a, a number of different reasons. And Jesus kind of lays out those reasons. So there are those who are eunuchs by birth. That is someone who is born with a birth defect to where they cannot engage in sexual activity because they have a birth defect. They are those who are celibate, not by choice, but by birth. There are those that were made eunuchs by other men. That is, it was common practice back in the day, if you were a very wealthy or powerful man, like a governor or a king, you would have male servants. And those male servants would oversee your household, including your daughters and your wife. And so the last thing you would want is some, you know, uh, dude, Just like kind of prowling around looking for, you know, your your wife and your daughters. And so they would be castrated. Their junk would be chopped off. That's just the way that it would go. And that desire would go with it. And you'd be like, all right, that's your lot in life. You're my servant. Another way that a man would make another man eunuch would be like uh, if you're a prisoner of war. That was a pretty common and and gruesome thing. Uh, The last one is those who were eunuchs by choice. Those who were saying, I'm going to engage and not engaging. I'm going to, by choice, be celibate. Now, this is not somebody who mutilates their body, and I want to underline that. That is not somebody who mutilates their body. And I hate that I have to camp out on this and bring this up, but this is a verse that is used as an affirming verse for the trans movement. And that is not what the scripture is saying. That's not what it means in the original language at all. And to make it say that, you have to twist the text. This is simply saying, those who are making the choice to remain celibate for the purpose of serving the Lord more wholly in their life, with all of of their lives. And so this thing of singleness that the Corinthian church asked Paul about, that Jesus addressed, is it good for a person to remain celibate or single? Paul says, man, go for it. It's a good thing. Nevertheless, see, there's a clause, verse 2. Nevertheless, Paul says, because of sexual immorality... Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And so... Paul now says, hey, if you are called this thing of celibacy, go for it. Nevertheless, be careful. Because unless you're called to it by the Lord and he's given you the strength to do it, it's a dangerous situation. You're going to be tempted to walk in, engage in sexual immorality. And again, that word for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia, And it is the word that we get our English word pornography from. But it encompasses much more than just images on our computer screen or a magazine subscription. It is any sort of sexual sin outside of marriage. And Paul says, hey, be careful. Right? It's great to be celibate. It's great to be single if that's what the Lord has called you to. If he has not, though, be careful. Because if you try to engage in that lifestyle, the temptation might overcome you. And so Paul says, hey, man, in marriage, enjoy all that marriage has to offer. Marriage, biblical marriage, uh, has a fourfold purpose. Marriage was given to us for procreation, for pleasure, for partnership, and as a picture. Right? Procreation, pleasure, partnership, picture. Those first two deal with the natural physical love shared between a husband and a wife. As the Lord said, go and be fruitful and multiply. You can't do that, you know, unless I'm not, you know, that's just the way that it goes. Right? And he made that activity pleasurable, which is why there's so many people. Right? What a drag it would be if he made sex this uncomfortable weird thing. There'd be like five of us, you know, but there's not. So, marriage, man, is given to us for procreation. It was given to us for pleasure. It's a good thing. But Paul says, "Hey, Husband and wife are not to abuse this gift, this privilege of sex that is a normal part of marriage by either demanding or withholding uh, sex. And, and he, he goes into this whole thing where the wife's body is not her own, but her body belongs to the husband. And all the guys are like, woo, yay, hang on, calm down, right? It, it, it doesn't end there, right? Your body is her property also, right? It, it, it goes both ways. And you're to render to one another the affection due. Think about that. The affection due. There's a couple of things I want to point out in that phrase. First of all, sexuality in a marriage encompasses more than just the act of sexual intercourse. Right? It has been said that sex begins in the kitchen. Right? There is a type of affection right, that, that encompasses, that is a part of the physical. And and I want you to understand that, fellas, in particular. That's just the reality. Sex isn't this thing where you're like, all right, it's one o'clock. The kids are gone. Let's flip on the switch. Let's just, like, get this deed done. It it takes more than that. It's an intimate thing. Also, not only is it the affection due, but it's due. Right? There's this this thing owed. It's when you hold it back, you're ripping each other off. And Paul says, no, listen, your body belongs to him and your body belongs to her. It's this beautiful thing. Uh, and I want to stress that this does not authorize abuse, right? And it's sad that I have to point that out. But there are men in the church who have this highlighted in their Bibles, like, hey, hey baby, look, your body's mine, and you got to, you know, come on, huh, huh, hubba hubba. <laughs> That's not what Paul is saying. Right? This is a reminder to both husband and wife to consider the needs and desires of their, their spouse, that there's affection due. Warren Wearsby, I, I like a quote that, that he has because see, here's what happens in marriage is that so often sex can get weaponized in a marriage by either demanding or not being sensitive or by withholding begrudgingly And uh, this is what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, sexual love is beautiful tool to build with, not a weapon to fight with. And and that's so true. Because again, to refuse each other is to commit robbery. It's to rip each other off. It's stealing something from your spouse and, and from your marriage. And what it really does, Paul says, is it opens the door wide open for Satan to come in and to tempt the marriage into things that they shouldn't be engaged in. And, uh, and so Paul says, hey, listen, I- enjoy your marriage between man and, and woman and, and, and all that God has, has given you. But again, you see that, that marriage is defined for us. All these places in Scripture, marriage is defined for us here again in verse 2, that it's between a husband and a wife. Not husband and wives, no sister wives going on, sorry, polygamy, is out, that there's no mention of two wives or two husbands, right? God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman for one life. And I know that we we disagree with that in culture. And again, that's where we come face to face. Am I going to dig in my heels and say, I'm right, or am I going to lean on the Lord and say, All right, what you have said is right. Because we take passages like this and different passages in the Bible and we say, no, nah, God is cool with homosexuality. God, it, it, it's something that's acceptable and that, that he, he, he smiles upon. And we, we take passages and say, well, well, didn't you know that, that, that David and Jonathan were gay? And didn't you know that Paul was gay? And there's people that say that Jesus was gay. All of that, again, is a twisting of the scriptures to make it say something it doesn't. That's starting with what you want it to say and then rearranging it until it matches up. That's not what we're to do. That's not how we're to approach the word. We're to say, what does your word say? And then line our lives up with God's word. Because here's the thing. God has a plan for marriage. And I hate to belabor the point, but it's important that we understand because God has given us the blueprint. He's given us the owner's manual. And what we've done in cultures, we've taken God's manual for our lives and we've Shucked it out the window, and we've replaced it with our own owner's manual. Now imagine if I decided that I didn't like the owner's manual for my pickup truck. And I said, you know what? It's too thick. There's not enough pictures. And I just shucked it out the window and I said, you know, I'm gonna, I like the owner's manual for my lawnmower a lot better. And I took and I did all the maintenance to my truck according to the owner's manual for my lawnmower. Oh, man, there's way too much oil in this thing. What's the radiator doing here? And it, it would be disastrous. It would be devastating. And it's the same way in marriage. right? When we live our lives according to the directions that God has given us, great blessings. If we ignore it, man, there's great heartache. Uh, God created marriage. God created sex in marriage. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's not like he created Adam and Eve and then turned around like, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, he, he made us that way. So Paul says, enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your wife. Don't hold back. Verse five, he says, don't defraud yourselves. Um, verse five, do not deprive one another. The King Jimmy says, do not, uh, do not, what did I say? It's the word I like better. Do not defraud uh, the new King James says, do not deprive one another except with the consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a command for I wish that all men were even as I am. So Paul says, listen, just enjoy each other. Don't hold back Except, he he gives, there's one exception. There's a a time when abstinence is appropriate under the right circumstances. Paul says, if both parties agree, it's consensual. They both say, all right, this, we agree to not have sex for for whatever. And it's for the right time. It's for a specific amount of time. It's not this open-ended thing that one partner decides. It is for a set amount of time and it's to be a short amount of time. How do I know it's to be a short amount of time? It's for the purpose of fasting. How long can we abstain from sex in a marriage? Well, how long can you fast? Well, I can't fast for more than 10 hours. Well, there you go. That's it. It's not meant to be this long, drawn-out thing where we say, well, for the next 10 years, we're not going to come together as man and wife because we're going to be holy. The Lord says, that's a mistake. That's not the way I made it. There is a time when you can do it. uh, And then it has to be for the right motive. Right? It's not just for any old reason. It's so that you might grow closer to the Lord in prayer and in, in, in fasting and the whole idea again of this section is to be in tune with your spouse to to be sensitive to their needs and their wants and enjoy the blessings that the Lord has given us in the marriage bed so that you don't leave the door wide open for Satan to tempt you and to ruin your marriage because Satan is always there to tempt he's a punk You know that it's true that that when you were courting each other, when you were engaged, Satan did everything that he could to try to get you to sleep with each other outside of marriage. And then you get married and he does everything he can to get you to sleep with somebody else and to betray your marriage vows. He just wants to trip you up and to, to destroy your marriage. And so, man, enjoy the marriage that the Lord has given you. Don't give Satan room. Now, for all the single people, they're like, man, this sucks. Why did I come to church today? This doesn't even have anything to do with me. I'm not married. Statistically, someday you will be married, right? So this will apply to almost all of you, whether you're married or not right now. Someday you will be. So take note. But now Paul's going to talk about the singles. He's going to talk about you guys. And he says, uh, it's good for you guys to say celibate, to stay uh, sexually pure. And that's what he says in verse 7. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul now speaks to you, the single Christian. He says, hey, if you're single, great. Man, it's not a bad thing. Paul says, be as I am. Paul was single at this point. Paul was once married, we know he was once married, because he was a part of the Sanhedrin. It was like the the Jewish Supreme Court. And in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. And so we know that Paul was married at one point, but he's not anymore. We don't know why, we don't know if his wife died. Uh, It could have been, given the life expectancy of people in Paul's day. We don't know, more than likely, what most Bible scholars think is that his wife left him when he converted from Judaism to Christianity, that, that she just couldn't take it. But Paul, whatever the reason, says, man, singleness is a gift. It, it, it's a good thing. And maybe here this morning, he says, man, singleness does not feel like a gift to me. It, it doesn't. Uh, be patient. You guys hear the story of the two teardrops that were floating down the river? The one teardrop said to the other teardrop, man, how did you get here? Who cried you out? And so, oh, Bobby cried me out when, when, I, when he asked Anna to marry him, and she said no. And then that tear said, well, who cried you out? He said, well, uh, Jimmy cried me out when Anna said yes, that she would marry him. (laughs) See, he said no to the one, and ended up. yeah, she wasn't a good person to marry. See, so single person, don't rush it. That's my point. You think so badly that you want to be married, and then you rush into something that God didn't have for you. Paul says, hey, singleness is not a bad thing. Singleness is a gift from God, and man, you can... Do so much for the Lord that a married couple with a family cannot do. You can commit your life. You can go places. You can do things that people who have the obligation of marriage uh, just can't. And so how do you know if you have the gift of singleness? How do you know if the Lord would have you to remain that way forever? Well, if you're able to control yourself sexually. Right, Paul says, if you are unable to remain sexually pure, then just get married. And so young people, man, there is so much temptation in your world today. Guard that purity. Be careful what your eyes see. Be like Job. Make a deal, a covenant with your eyes, not to look upon a woman with lust. It's so important, and it will bless your future marriage. Or if you walk according to the ways of this world, you'll rip off your future marriage. Super important. But Paul here says, if you can't live uh, in sexual purity, then get married. Now, I want to point out, this is where this is not the entire counsel of God's word, right? This is not the good reason to get married in and of itself. But just because you burn with passion for another individual does not mean that you should just run out and get married. And I say that because I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Jeremy, we have got to get married right away. Uh, today, uh, maybe uh, tomorrow at the latest. And I say, okay, what's going on? Is someone dying? Is What's no, we just can't keep our hands off each other. I'm going, oh, that is not a good reason to not get married. And just so you know, I will not marry anybody unless you go through like six weeks of premarital counseling with me. Because it's important to look at the Bible and see what does the Bible say about marriage? What is your role as a wife, a husband, finances, conflict resolution, all these things. And I've had those same people say, well, fine, we'll find somebody else to marry us. And guess who was sitting right across from me in marriage counseling, not too long? Broken hearts, tears flowing. It's not a good reason to get married. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, don't, don't forget that. And so Paul here says, man, single people, man, rejoice in your singleness. It, it, it's a gift. And so now not only did uh, Paul deal with uh, the Corinthians in regards to celibacy, they also asked a question about divorce, verse 10. Now, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So they also had a question about marriage and divorce. They wanted to know, is it okay to get divorced? Again, divorce was rampant in their culture like it is in our culture. By the way, it is disheartening to me that the, the rate of divorce in the church is almost the same as it is in the world. It ought not be so. It's an indication that we're not taking God's word seriously, and my prayer for us is that we would. But it was a rampant thing, and Paul says, is it a, or the Corinthian church asked Paul, is it okay for us to get divorced? And Paul defaults to what Jesus said. He said, I command you, not me. He says, I say, but the Lord commands you that you should not get divorced. A man should not divorce his wife, and a woman should not leave her husband. And Jesus, again, turned back to uh, Matthew chapter 19, and we'll read the part that we skipped over, and this is the part where Jesus deals with divorce there in Matthew chapter 19. He says, well, we'll just start in verse three. It says, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, it is, is it lawful, pardon me, for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh? So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate so Jesus says, what God has joined together in marriage, let no man separate. There is no uh, clause. I, I, I'm tired of him. He's way stinkier than I thought, Lord. And she's way grouchier than I could have ever anticipated. We, we just have irreconcilable differences, which, by the way, is the number one reason for divorce, which is uh, a joke. But divorce is forever. Paul, again in Romans 7. Now, just uh, heads up. This passage that I'm going to read to you is not a passage concerning marriage. It's a passage concerning the law, but it deals with marriage, and that'll make more sense after I read it. Romans 7 says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she is no adulterer, but she uh, can marry another man. So, Paul's whole point here was that we were free from the law. He's talking against legalism as Christians. But he uses a, a perfect picture of marriage. He says that the marriage covenant is binding until death. That is your release clause in marriage as far as God is concerned. That you, once you say, I do, once you tie the knot, that person is your spouse until one of you kicks the bucket. And that's why at the altar, you say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. How quickly we forget that when people get sick, when we get poor. And when our marriages are in the toilets, but we said, Lord, I'm making you this promise. Remember, marriage is a covenant not between just two people. It's between God and us. We're saying, God, I promise you that no matter what happens, I will never divorce this individual. For better or for worse, I'm committed to you. Now, I do want to address something before we move forward. <clears throat> a lot of the things that we're talking about this morning, man, for many of us in here, we've been down this road. We've experienced adultery in one form or another. We've experienced uh, divorce in one sense or another. And maybe as we talk this morning, it's like daggers in your heart. I want you to understand a a couple things this morning. Uh, The first thing is that there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness available. That that, that, that we can turn to the Lord and we can say, God, this is an area in my life where I have I've stepped out of bounds and I'm, I'm reaping the, the consequences of my choices, but I long for forgiveness. And the Lord will forgive. It, it, he is faithful to forgive us if we confess our sins, 1 John 1-9 tells us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess. And I, and I want you to understand that God has a plan for your life moving forward as well. There's forgiveness, and he still desires to give you a a future and a hope. But divorce, God's plan for divorce is never. And that's why in marriage counseling, I always say the D word. You don't even say the word. It's not even an option. It's not even something that you, you throw around. Because Jesus did have one exception. He goes on to say that except for sexual immorality, See, there is one thing that will bring death to a marriage. And that is if someone goes out on their partner. When there's sexual immorality in a marriage. And you know what? There have been couples where unfaithfulness has happened and it's not been confessed or dealt with. And that marriage is a zombie. It's walking dead. Your marriage is dead. That's what sexual immorality does to a marriage. It's damaging. It's hurtful. It brings death. And that's why we are to guard our marriages against adultery, right? We live in a very co-ed world now, don't we? Where we all work together. Workplaces are very co-ed. Uh, you know, and I have nothing against women in the workplace. Pastor Jeremy, he doesn't think women should work. It's biblical that women should work. I'm not against that. But uh, we do have a culture now to where if a young man wants to go to work and support his wife and his kids... It's pretty hard to do on one income. We've done that culturally. And so we have this forced co-ed workplace and social environment. And it's not uncommon for an employer to not only expect but to require someone to have a lunch meeting with somebody of the opposite sex or to go on a business trip and interact with somebody of the opposite sex. And there's a situation to where day by day we're investing in and laughing and, and you know people are sharing their troubles. And the Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sorry, I got that backwards. Where your treasure is, there your, that is what you are invested in, your heart will be attached to it. Be careful what you invest your life into. Be careful. Don't be... Ladies, looking for a shoulder to cry on. Fellas, don't be a shoulder to cry on. Guard your marriage against the... So are you saying, Pastor Jeremy, that if, if my work requires me to go on an overnight trip with someone of the opposite sex, I should just tell my boss, no? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Yes. Well, what if I get fired? Better to lose your job than your marriage. Are you telling me, Pastor Jeremy, that I should just block all of those people, those of the opposite sex they used to hang out with in high school, old boyfriends and girlfriends? Yes. Well, what if they get offended? Better to offend them than your wife or your husband. Uh, guard your marriage. I, <clears throat> I do not meet with women alone. If you are in a situation to where you're like, you need some pastoral counsel, then we have some ladies, some elders wives, my wife. If you have to talk to me, fantastic, but it's not going to be one-on-one. My wife is going to be there because I don't want her to wonder where I'm at or who I'm with or what I'm doing. Super important. Uh, Guard against adultery uh, in your marriages. It's super, super important. Uh, And again, I want to stress that although Jesus said that is the one circumstance in which divorce is permitted, he doesn't say that divorce is required, does he? It's not commanded. And there are so many beautiful stories. There's beautiful stories right within our own body where people have made disastrous decisions where their marriage was dead. But you know what? We serve a God who is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And they have beautiful, wonderful marriages because they were both yielded to the Lord. The best thing is to walk in repentance and forgiveness and allow the Lord to bring restoration. That's it. God hates divorce. Because it destroys, it robs us. It defames God's name and it robs us of our blessings. And those are the same reasons that Satan loves divorce. I always warn couples when we're doing premarital counseling. You have a very real enemy in Satan. He hates marriage. Look at our culture. Everything that has to do with a happy marriage or a happy uh, family is under attack. Why? Remember at the beginning I said that, uh, that marriage, uh, there, there's a fourfold purpose, that it's for procreation, pleasure, partnership, and picture, right? Partnership. Adam was not complete. So God said, it's not good that you're alone. You're missing something. And so he took and he made Eve, <clears throat> pardon me, so that when they came together, they were complete. That means apart, there's something that's missing, And Satan loves that. He loves to rip us off of that that partnership. But what marriage really is, uh, uh, where we really see the beauty in marriage is what it is a picture of. And that's why Satan hates it the most. What is marriage a picture of? It's not just a union between two people. It's a picture of the church and the beautiful relationship that we have with Jesus. Ephesians 5, it's this passage where Paul goes through, you know, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And at the end of that, Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. See, there's this overlaying. It applies to our relationships uh, horizontally, but it's a picture of our relationship with Jesus vertically. It's this beautiful thing. And Satan hates that. He hates it. And so this whole thing of, of sexuality, God's got a plan It's a good plan. Walk according to his plan. This whole thing of singleness. God has a plan. Walk according to his plan. See it as a gift. Marriage, God has a beautiful plan for you in marriage. Love each other. Enjoy everything that marriage has to offer. Guard against the enemy. And remember that all these things we talked about, young people, Right, that ability to stay pure and to to guard your eyes and to enjoy, you know, God's singleness in your life. Married couples, that ability to to have a, a rightly functioning sexual relationship and to love each other and to be submitted to each other. All of these things, to walk out God's plan, man, it's impossible without God. Don't forget that that our first step as Christians is to have this wonderful relationship with our Creator, then through that, our other relationships flourish. Stay close to the Lord. And lean on the Lord. Trust the Lord. It's super important. And again, if there's areas that we talked about this morning that, man, your heart's broken, remember that there is forgiveness available And so let's just agree to keep Christ at the center of our lives, to do things his way, to walk in the forgiveness that's available, to walk in the plan that he made for us. And all of that is available to us because of what he's done for us on the cross, Calvary. And again, that's why it's so important that we take communion often, because we need to remember, man, there is forgiveness That's right, Lord, I've blown it, I've dropped the ball. But you know what? As we come to the communion table, we remember that our sin, though it was as scarlet, it's been washed white as snow. That we remember that when we confess our sin, he takes our sin and he stuffs it into a bag. He removes it from us as far as east is from west. He throws it into the depths of the sea and he remembers it no more. Communion is that picture that Jesus died on the cross in our place because he was bound and beaten we can have freedom of forgiveness to walk in all that he has for us because his blood was shed for us. We're, we're forgiven. Our sins are dealt with. It's a beautiful thing. So no matter where you fall in that category, as you come this morning, and do what the word has called us to do. Examine your heart. Repent of your sin. Walk in rightness before the Lord. Lean on his strength and not your own. And be blown away and refreshed by who we are now in him. Amen. So Lord, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for your plan, for for marriage and for singleness and for sexuality, Lord. And again, I pray that we would take and apply your word to our lives, that this would just not remain head knowledge, but that we would apply this and we would experience the blessing and benefits from it, Lord. But again, we recognize that we can't apply these things in and of our own strength. And so Lord, we say less of us and more of you. As we come to the table, Lord, we come and surrender, desiring more of you. And as we take in the elements, as we remember the promises, Lord, come into our lives again in that fresh and new way, Lord. May this be just that moment, that reset where we say, Lord, I'm done doing things my way. I'm going to walk according to your will and your plan from this day forward. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.